0: Hey folks, welcome back to Big Mama Hex. This is season two, we're calling it. And this season we are exploring religion and spirituality within the context of Pennsylvania Dutch culture and community. And I'm so excited for my first episode. I am sitting down virtually, of course, because he's in Canada, with my wonderful friend Ethan Rode. And we are going to be discussing his personal religion and spirituality and all of the things and the intersections within our Pennsylvania Dutch community and culture and history so welcome Ethan to the show hello hello happy to be back I'm so excited to have you here again and in such a short time I think it's only been like less than a year since you were on the first time which is really exciting
1: yeah it's been like 11 months I think I was just thinking I was like oh my gosh they're all all the people that listen are going to be in for I don't I wouldn't go as far as to say a treat but they'll be in for it with me being back so soon
0: (laughs) no it's absolutely a treat it's a Dutch treat baby so um this is how this all came about you know I'm I'm a kind of wild lady and I get ideas in my head and I think oh this is such a great idea so I put a call out just based on my own personal exploration and sort of I would say spiritual crisis in the last 10 years it's been going on. Um, So I put a call out to my friends because I know I started to think about the wonderful and unique background of so many of my friends, um, whether on online or in in real life, which also they intersect as well. And I thought, you know, I'd really love to share some people's stories, you know, um, and their experiences and not necessarily because they're different or very, you know, you know, dissimilar to me but more because we're all very similar in um, our experiences and I think it helps bring people together when they see that other people have had sort of these 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 kind of like moments where they where they're trying to sort it all out as far as spirituality and religion um, so I put a call out on Facebook and you were the first person to respond Ethan which I really appreciate you graciously um, accepted an invitation to come on so welcome and if you could please just to refresh our audience. Um, Just let them know a little bit about yourself, a little introduction about who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, so uh, my name is Ethan Rode. I'm originally from Moton, Pennsylvania in Berks County and spent the last 10 years of my life before moving uh, to go to school uh, just outside of Philadelphia. And um, I currently live in Canada. I've been here for five years. I graduated last year around this time, a little bit earlier than this time. Uh, with a degree in linguistics and political studies, and I focused a lot of my research on revitalization, language revitalization, and language conservation. And uh, a lot of my work that I'm doing right now, as in like a one year update from the last time I was here, uh, I currently teach Pennsylvania Dutch with the Burke's History Center. Uh, I teach the intermediate level, and um, it's been so wonderful because we have so many interested students, and we're going to keep offering it. So you know, it's uh, a really exciting thing uh, that I've been doing. And um, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of me in a
0: nutshell these days. Oh, that's so wonderful. Wonderbar. (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually in your class now. (laughs) I I entered a bit, a wee late, but I'm It's, it's a been a really great experience I'm really impressed with everybody over at the Berks History Center for taking this initiative and getting this off the ground um, it's an it's an incredible experience and you've got a bunch of classes that you're offering so well done Bradley Smith big shout out to Bradley um, and yes, I'm so glad he Brad. I'm so glad he invited you to be a part of the team it's wonderful and Kevin sterner of course is also um, teaching as well yeah. so I, we yeah, highly recommend company. you are in the in- company we
1: yeah, I'm in very good company over there with Kevin you and certainly. Brad.
0: Yeah, so both of them are teaching as well and we we both highly recommend taking the courses and what I love so much, what means so much to me is that they're also available online because sometimes it's really hard to get out of the house and get out to these um classes. I did take um one with Keith Brunsonhoff years and years ago at um the other place in Reading with <laughs> the big distal thing, I always get it mixed up with Berks History Center. Oh, there's
1: the Berks, Berks County Heritage, in- Heritage, Center, I yeah, guess it's the Heritage Center.
0: Yeah, that's where I went. Yeah. It was really tough to get out and go and do that because just really busy. So, I really give you guys a lot of um, props as well for doing it online as well. This is a very wonderful initiative and exactly the reason that you can be involved. So, we're really happy to see that. So, um, let's get into it, Ethan. So, um, so first of all, welcome again, and I just wanted to know what prompted you to be interested in, in coming on and speaking about this, like what, can you just give us a little background about your your beliefs in your religion and your spiritual beliefs?
1: Sure, so uh, the reason I wanted to come on is because I always liked, I think it's always funny, I always say, I'm like the only Pennsylvania German Jew, and <laughs> you know, I just think there are not a not enough and B there aren't many to choose from anyway, uh Jewish people who are in the Pennsylvania Dutch community because as we know historically, um many of them are different sects of Protestantism Protestant Christianity, and so you know of course that has the dominant voice understandably because it's like ninety some percent of our of our cultural group's population, um so I I felt driven and um you know led to come on because you know i i don't often think that jewish voices are um amplified in in a lot of spaces and i felt like you were giving those of us who are a little bit different religiously from the uh general population a platform and uh so i i jumped at the opportunity and and you know you are such a wonderful person to talk to about these sorts of things you have very interesting insight so you know i felt like this would be a really great opportunity just to have some conversation about it
0: wow that's so nice and thank you for your kind words Ethan. it makes me feel really happy to know that um and joyful actually or fairly polite <laughs> i will say <laughs> i have botched it up um to hear those words because that's that's what i want to be in our community i want to be um that sort of like motherly figure that you know my arms are welcome and open to everyone and we all belong and um that's one of the things you know with the Mirsin di dry it's we all are the day dry so also um as a person who identifies and that deeply is connected to the pagan community i also feel grossly underrepresented in our community. And I do feel, um, because of my experience in that, um, it helps me to have empathy and, and, a, a keener eye or a keener sense of welcoming people that may feel a bit put off, you know, knowing that these statistics are the truth of who the community right. is. And, um, I know when we initially spoke, you know, it's hard to, uh, Enter into a very tight knit community, especially if you feel that there's things that make you different, not lesser than, but different. And you know, I always yeah. want you you to feel that way, and other folks to feel that way. Um, because we're living in 2023, and and the way I see it is our ancestors that were Pennsylvania Dutch came here for religious freedom, which is exactly what we're expressing, which is a dream of theirs and uh, and of America. Um, you know when when it was founded to be a place especially William Penn um yeah very big time so that's really interesting and I'll be honest with you I think as far as I know in the people that I've met in the last 10 years those that have shared their religious perspective you may be the only person that shared that with me um I know I've met a lot of people ethnically that were Jewish and Pennsylvania Dutch but not practicing in in the actual religion so um whatever I'm going to really leave this open to you about what you'd like to share about your experience. And, um, yeah, how, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I took a real long pause there, but no. I guess, I guess for me, it's really difficult um, the way it intersects because it always feels for me. Um, it, 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 not that I feel Nothing. lesser that it's really hard Wait. to explain stuff.
1: It is. It is really hard to explain. I Well, so I guess ultimately, because we had talked briefly before this about, you know, how this conversation was going to go. And yes. I do want to, because, I mean, there's this saying, uh, two Jews, three opinions. And, you know, so I'm not going to be telling people how to be Jewish. I'm not going to be telling people how to convert. I'm not even going to tell you right. what a Jew, I will tell you what a Jew is to a certain extent, but I won't actually like you know, I, I'm not saying that I'm speaking for the entire Jewish community, because right. you literally cannot do that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's so much nuance in our community, so many different practices. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to speak from my experience, uh, mostly from an intersectional standpoint, being Jewish and Pennsylvania Dutch, growing up in yeah. an interfaith household. And, you know, um, some of the traditions that I think maybe aren't as mainstream. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 ultimately what I want to do today: define terms and talk about intersectionality. That's my that's yes. my goal.
0: <laughs> Please go, go for it. I know you have some talking points that you'd like to mention, and I can't wait to hear them.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely certain things that overlap uh, superficially, for sure. Uh, I think you know, especially I mean, cuisine. There's a lot of similar things, um, and you know the Yiddish language is very similar to. I was just going to say that,
0: yeah, in yep.
1: in many ways. Um, so I'll I'll de- I'll definitely dive into that, and then as for the Reading Jewish community, having like been born into the Reading Jewish community, right. um, and have gone to uh, Ohab Shalom, the Reform congregation in Wyoming, off of State Hill Road. Um, you know that was my that was my childhood synagogue um that was where i went to Hebrew school sunday school preschool um so you know the reading i don't it's it's fairly sizable compared to other mid-sized cities like it but it's definitely no philadelphia or new york or chicago la miami you know nothing like one of the big metropolitan areas where you know there's a lot of jewish people um but yeah so i'll dive in i'll start with uh my first note briefly talking about who is a jew um so there uh, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that judaism is an ethnic religion it's not just a religion um, so uh, it is a religion in, in important ways you know we have a belief system that we follow we believe in god we are you know we have laws we have uh scripture we have very very you know religious aspects but Jews themselves are also, in, in many cases, ethnically Jewish. Um, so we have ethnic divisions such as Ashkenazi Jews, Sephardi Jews, Mizrahi Jews, Bukhari Jews, Beta Israel, um, you know, many different kinds of Jews ethnically. So, like, I'm Ashkenazi Jew, which is like most Americans are Ashkenazi Jews. These are Jews that um, are a part of the Jewish diaspora. Thousands of years ago are from the Middle East. but Uh, due to oppression and what have you, they were kicked out of the Holy Land and moved to different parts of Europe. Ashkenazi Jews mostly are from Central and Eastern Europe. My great-grandfather and most, like all of my great-grandparents were immigrants, except for one um, on that side of the family. And so they all came from Ukraine and Poland, essentially back in the 1910s um, or early 1900s uh so you know they came and they they settled in philadelphia and so that's that's my identity and that's what i think most americans when they think of jewish food and jewish culture they think of ashkenazi culture that's your matzo ball soup your um, uh, what else i'm trying to think everything is escaping me latkes blintzes knishes all of those jewish food stuffed cabbage all of that is very Ashkenazi. ashkenazi jews but there's also uh, Sephardic Jews. Uh, Sephard in Hebrew means Spain. Um, these are Jews from Spain and Portugal. Uh, they're often called Iberian Jews as well, named after the Iberian Peninsula, which is where Spain and Portugal are. And uh, they have a different dialect of Hebrew that they use in uh, liturgy, and they have different food ways. They make delicious food such as hummus and shakshuka and dolmas and Things that you might associate more with arab cuisine or greek cuisine or north african cuisine um, because they're a part of that group jews and arabs and greeks and north africans and all these people live side by side for thousands of years um so you know these are lesser known um group there's cultural jewish cultural groups the bukhari jews are from the caucasus mountains in georgia um, mizrahi jews are uh, jews that stayed in the middle east mostly in iraq and uh, Palestine, and uh, Lebanon, and, you know, these parts of, of Asia. And the Beta Israel are from Ethiopia. So, you know, we have quite a diverse group of cultural mixing, a lot of diversity within our ethnicity. And uh, it's just, uh, we're, we're an incredible group. So that's the ethnic piece. Uh, the religious piece, because um, you can be religiously Jewish, but not ethnically Jewish. These are your converts. Yeah. These are people who... Right. In many instances are maybe um formerly christian formerly muslim formerly whatever and have decided to go through the long arduous conversion process to become jews and halakhically which hal- halakha is our law jewish law halakhically you are considered jewish if you convert so even you're even if your genes even if you take an ancestry.com test and it doesn't tell you you're ethnically jewish by All accounts, the Jewish community welcomes converts. Uh, I mean, in in most situations, I can't say for all, but my denomination certainly does. Um, And, you know, we view you as as an equal. We view you as a Jew, even if your genes are not telling you that you are. Um, You can also be ethnically Jewish, but not religiously Jewish. I mean, the whole spiritual, but not religious is, you know, or even just people will ask you if you're Jewish. They'll say yes, culturally. You know, these are Jews who are... People whose uh, grandparents, great grandparents have immigrated um, and, you know, have a lot of cultural Jewish components. They love a good lox on on a cream cheese (laughs) bagel for breakfast, Um, listen to Jewish music, maybe have an affinity for the Yiddish language, Um, you know, partake in some Jewish cultural activities, but are not necessarily believing in God. Or following halakha, following you know kashrut, the Jewish dietary laws, um, you know not following these sorts of things. So you know they're still Jews as well because you're ethnically Jewish. But when you when you say who a Jew is, you also have to say who a Jew isn't, um, right. or who is not a Jew. I guess is a better English.
0: <laughs> um,
1: so I have here, and you know this is probably the most controversial thing I'll say. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, who is definitively not Jewish, these are people who identify as Messianic Jews. They are not Jewish. Maybe ethnically they are, but you are not religiously Jewish if you're identifying as a Messianic Jew. What a Messianic a Jew...
0: Me- oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> yes. So, so those are Jews for Jesus, essentially. Um, and so there's many people, usually Christians, who try to identify as Jews while also saying that they believe in Jesus. And as wonderful as that experience probably is for them, if you're not ethnically Jewish and you're doing that, you you cannot be considered a Jew. So, no. you know, the only people who are Jews that are Messianic Jews are people who, like, spit in a tube, send it away, and it gets sent to them, and it says that they're, like, Jewish. Right. Um, so, you know... That's that's the only, you know, major thing where people identify as Jews incorrectly uh, and it takes away and it's a huge problem for the Jewish community. We often laugh at them. Um, but, you know, but we also feel a sense of like, like this is cultural appropriation and mm. they're using Hebrew in their services when, you know, Hebrew is a very sacred language for Jews. And, you know, it's, I know it, for some Christians, it's a sacred language as well, because it was a language that Jesus, I mean, Jesus was a Jew and was from Israel. And, you know, so he, or Judea, I forget which part of of that, of the Levant he was from. But, um, you know, he used either Hebrew or Aramaic. So, you know, of course, no one owns a language. But, you know, using Hebrew in services, saying Jewish prayers, you know, that's really sacred for us. I mean, right. for a long time, this is t- a tangent, but I think you know it's a good segue. For a long time, um, particularly Hasidic Jews—these are your ultra-ultra-orthodox Jews—the ones that stick out in the crowd compared to everyone else, because the women wear wigs or tichels, which are like hair scarves, hair covers. Um, men with the wide-brimmed hats and the black suits, and the children with the and you know the men with the curls and everything. Um, That particular group actually had not used Hebrew amongst themselves because Hebrew was referred to as Lyshin Kaidesh, which in Yiddish means um, holy language, where they had Mamaloshin, which is Yiddish, mother tongue. Uh, Yiddish was the language to be used amongst themselves. Hebrew was just for when you were in temple uh, worshiping. So, you know, Hebrew is a very sacred language for us. And when we see it being used by people who are not Jewish, it can be kind of. upsetting and uh you know it it can be well you're just not using it right i mean you know we're the ones who speak the language uh so you know it's just that's that's ultimately how jews feel about that but um yeah so i guess rather than so that's ultimately what jews are i don't want to go in too much to like practices and stuff um for everyone because my my personal practice is very, I think, not mainstream. It's, I'm, I would identify as an unaffiliated Jew. I'm not affiliated with any movement or denomination. I, I grew up in the reform movement, which is uh, the most liberal uh, movement within Judaism or one of the most liberal movements. Um, but, you know, I don't attend a synagogue currently. I'm not a member of one and I, and I do things my own way, ultimately. Um, so, you know, by all means, my uh, this is a disclaimer. That I am, again, because I know I said this earlier, but I am not here to speak for all Jews and, you know, tell the general public, like, only these people are, well, I kind of did say only these people are Jews because, ethnically that is the case. But, you know, I'm not here to basically speak for everyone, you know, because right. I, I, you can't do that.
0: No. Um,
1: but yeah, so I guess I'll talk a little bit about my personal practice. But before I get into that, I guess I think it would be cool to talk about some overlap because I know, Rachel, you alluded to a previous interview that you had done um, where that was discussed. So there are some things that are very similar. Um, Cuisine is one of those that I think brings us together in a lot of ways. I mean, we have Jewish penicillin, matzo ball soup, is, you know, a chicken soup with dumplings in it and vegetables, and it doesn't look that different from chicken corn soup. So, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't taste all that different either. So there's a lot of similar food ways. Um, sauerkraut is big in both cultures, pickles, um, you know, things like that are, are big for, for, superficially big for both cultures. Um, I would say the biggest one for me as a linguist is of course the language, um, the Yiddish language and the Pennsylvania Dutch language. Uh, I do not speak Yiddish. My grandfather spoke Yiddish, but stopped speaking it. My my mom never spoke it. My grandmother went to Yiddish school, but she did not speak it as the first language. Um, but still, you know, being around people who are Ashkenazi Jews, you use Yiddish and English all the time. You know, like right. oh, I'm schlepped from here to there, or, you know, yes. you know, things like that, that we just throw in because that's our cultural language, even if we're not fluent in it. It's the same way that a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch people will just say like, you know, ach du or dona you know, things like yes. that. You know, it's just even if you don't speak the language, these are things that express something innately. <laughs> it's a cultural experience. Um, yeah, so Yiddish and Pennsylvania Dutch are, are quite similar. I have been taking Yiddish on Duolingo for a little over a month now. Um, it's been really cool because it's been helping me read Hebrew and it's also been helping me um just because you know I just feel a lot more connected to my Jewish ancestors um so I'll I'll give you some examples of things that are similar so for instance in in Pennsylvania Dutch the way we say I don't know is ich weiß net so if you, you you know that's just I don't know but in Yiddish you would say ich des nicht. Wow um, ich weiß net and ich weiß nicht are very similar yeah um, I also have here I sing I sing my music I don't know why I chose this sentence I just think it looks <laughs> and sounds similar in Pennsylvania she would say ich sing my music ich sing my music but in Yiddish it's ich sing my mu-, music ich sing my music sing my music or something oh, wait I can like not being able to pronounce Yiddish all a sudden for some reason <laughs> ich sing man music um so they do sound quite similar and uh you know obviously there are differences yiddish has a lot of slavic and um, hebrew influence because of where it was spoken and who it was it, it's spoken by and pennsylvania Dutch has a lot of english influence because of where it's spoken so nice. you know these are these are things that you know just happen when you're a minority language in a language community that is not the same or similar in many ways So, you know, there's a lot of Hebrew in like the word for family in Hebrew or in uh, Yiddish is mishpacha. It's not it's not similar to the German familia at all. It's mishpacha. Um, We use a lot of a lot of religious terms in Yiddish, understandably, are from Hebrew. Um, So, you know, it's it's things like that where there's some cultural overlap. Um, So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's just something that jumps out to me right then and there is is language
0: that that's um, really interesting that's what i was going to ask you about was yiddish um because i don't know why i grew up in a suburb of philadelphia my parents were both raised methodist we use so many yiddish words it's kind of bizarre and i really don't know why i think my mom had a very very close friend that was jewish maybe she picked it up from her but i we said schlept all the time like all the time Um, what is another one that we would say so much? And I remember one of my Pennsylvania Dutch speaking friends, (laughs) I say that loosely, (laughs) um, about friends actually called me out and said, no, you can't say that. That's really offensive. Oh my God. What was it? It was like, um, like kind of sloppy and slovenly.
1: Oh, i'm not sure god i
0: can't think of the word damn it but then i wanted to check in with somebody who actually speaks yiddish because i thought maybe he's just pulling my leg here um
1: no i don't i mean i wish i could help you (laughs) but no no no. it'll come to
0: me and i'll ask you another time but
1: i mean as far as like you using yiddish words i mean philadelphia has a huge jewish population and so philadelphia english which is the dialect of english has yep. a lot of yiddish i mean as well as new york english people who aren't ethnically or religiously jewish still use a lot of yiddish words schlep schmuck putz all these things oh it know. was
0: was it maybe putz yeah it was something like that yes yes 100 percent. is
1: offensive putz is offensive yeah. but it's like you know it's definitely if you call someone a putz then you know you're basically calling them um am i allowed to cuss on this show
0: Come on. Come on, Ethan. What do you think? Of course. <laughs> uh, um,
1: well, okay. Well, so yeah. So putz in Yiddish essentially just is, is you're calling someone a dick. Um, so like, you know, I, I mean, I, I won't say who because I don't want to be polarizing, but I mean, my Jewish grandmother calls a lot of people she sees on TV putz just because there's a lot of putzes on TV these days. Um so, you know, that's just, uh, it's uh, one of those, uh, it's such an expressive word. Although I feel like in my experience, Jewish people throw around that word all the time. But maybe that's because most of us don't speak Yiddish as a first language anymore. And so we words have sort of lost meaning over time. But that's essentially what putz is calling someone a dick. Like if someone's, oh, you're acting like such a putz. Um, yeah you No, know, that's that's ultimately what it is and, and my grandmother uses that word all the time to describe like everyone and everything so <laughs> making her sound like a raging bitch but she's actually really nice and um you know she mostly talks about politicians calling them putzes etc so you know. well
0: you know i'm sure you've heard the you've heard the scientific evidence that people that actually curse are a lot healthier and it's a great way to relieve stress so i'm all for it gammy
1: yeah gammy i mean she doesn't curse much in english but she will in yiddish i mean you know she but that's i think that's a lot of people who have access to more than one language especially to... germans and jews you know there's a lot of tapping into yeah. language <laughs>
0: well well you have a unique perspective because you're both you're a part of the Jewish community both adn- ethnically and religiously but you're also part of the Pennsylvania Dutch community and you're also a linguist so I have a great question for you about um oh here's my question okay so from all accounts including my own Pennsylvania Dutch family our language Pennsylvania Dutch has gone through a very very gross transition into almost being um eradicated, basically, um, due to what many accounts will say was the family not wanting their children to learn it. They wanted to talk and speak in secret, the grandparents or the parents. But what I found through my research, Ethan, which I want to ask you if it's similar with Yiddish, is that it was sort of a way to protect their children from prejudice Due to the accent and due to the affiliation with Germany in both World War One and World War Two, um, a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch people will come up to us at events and stuff and discuss how, you know, they really wish they had learned it. And of course, there's been a great um, renaissance in the language and interest in the language, and that's very, very beautiful to see. But it's really painful to know that, like my mother's generation and perhaps the generation before that, so she's. Um, uh, baby boomers really lost at even having that experience of learning it at all. And I know with the person I spoke of earlier, Scott Yoder, who grew up in Reading, he learned Pennsylvania Dutch with his grandfather in the basement, but his grandmother was all against it. And that's definitely how it kind of was. Um, for our family, my grandmother spoke it. It was her first language, but then she, of course, went, uh, many of you know my story. of uh, My grandmother went to college and, um, was put in a speech clinic and, and it really was a thorn in her side her whole life. She was really angry that they they treated her that way. But to her previous generations, um, you know, their experience, it was very different. They were worried that their, their children would be treated differently because they had been treated differently. So is that something with Yiddish that's also um, a commonality where was there ever a time that you're aware of? I mean, Pennsylvania Dutch is like so specific and so small. Yiddish is much larger and I I can imagine there's much more speakers, but is is there any sort of like commonality in that that, you know, has it ever been close to not being spoken? Is there any similarities with that linguistically speaking?
1: Yeah, I mean, so Pennsylvania Dutch actually I'm a lot more familiar with with how that, how the number dwindled and how you know, that went Yiddish I'm not as familiar with, but to my understanding and, and to the way that a lot of immigrant languages have gone in the United mm-hmm. States, I think that a lot of people just wanted to assimilate. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was this whole speak American movement that was going oh, on yeah. at the time, which was all about everyone needing to speak English. And it still goes on, you know, to this day. I was just gonna say, way.
0: yes. Yes.
1: Um so I think that Jews, being an ethnic and religious minority, had a difficult decision to make. And, you know, there were still, I mean, at the time of the Holocaust, there were something like 10 million Yiddish speakers. And so, of course, the Holocaust is, you know, did that number in. And, you know, there were 6 million right. Jews that were killed during the Holocaust. So, you know, and I think something like 85, 90% of them were Yiddish speakers or Yiddish mother language speakers. Um, so, of course, that did the number in um and then when people immigrated and now a lot of jews like my ancestors or my jewish you know great grandparents they weren't escaping the holocaust they came to the united states before the holocaust happened they were escaping different genocide the uh, pogroms in eastern europe um but uh they um. You know, and they brought Yiddish with them, and my grand—like I said, my grandfather spoke Yiddish as a first language, but sort of stopped, I think, because it just wasn't really helpful <laughs> in the American, you know, mindset and and the American dream. Foreign languages were not considered a part of the American dream. Um, right. You know, immigrants are, of course, because that's who it was all about. But you know, speaking your mother language is not a part of that. It's like you move here and you like get better like you know you're escaping whatever but you speak english while you do it um so i think that yiddish i mean with a lot of immigrant languages italian irish um you know welsh uh, pennsylvania dutch uh a lot of immigrant languages have gone because of of this ideology and so you know yiddish is not immune to that and um it's, uh, you know, like, how many Italian Americans do you know now that speak Italian or Sicilian? And how many Irish Americans do you know now that are speaking Irish? You know, it's the same with Jews. It's, it's how many Jews do you know who are actively speakers of Yiddish other than Hasidim, other than the ultra-Orthodox Jews that are a little bit more insular um, and isolated? You know they're using that language. they're still speaking to their kids in that language so i think that that's ultimately if i answered your question properly if that's sort of what it is, is is outside sources um sort of choking out the use of yiddish and other immigrant languages um so you know and and there's a lot of jewish languages by the way there, yiddish is just one of many 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 jewish languages there's ladino right. Which is spoken by the Sephardic Jews, which is Judeo-Spanish, um, wow. and was not really active. It wasn't as popularly spoken in the U.S. because most of the Jewish immigrants were Ashkenazi, so Yiddish speakers. But Ladino was widely spoken in Turkey and Greece and Italy, Spain, Morocco, Israel, uh, Palestine, Egypt. You know, these are. You know, there are many, many, and I, I mean, those are just two of like hundreds of different Jewish languages. So, you know, it's, um, and it's, it's just something with assimilation that unfortunately withers away.
0: Yeah. I think that the interesting difference with Pennsylvania Dutch is it's not really German. So it's like kind of, it was a language that sort of was birthed here. And like in this short time that we've been here has also kind of gone through such a, a decline you know like let's just be honest i mean people are learning it now but it'll never be the same as it was you no, know 100 I mean, years ago you know
1: specifically outside of amish and older mennonite communities exactly no, it won't i mean i would love to see it rebound but like same. you know and i and i have faith that more people will speak it outside of those two religious groups But I don't know exactly what that number will be, and I mean Pennsylvania German or Pennsylvania Dutch is it is a German dialect. It comes from Swabian, it comes from Palatinate German, it comes from Badish, it comes from Alsatian German. It's you know a result of dialect mixing that occurred when our forebears came to the to the United States and settled here and had to find a way to communicate with each other, and therefore Pennsylvania Dutch was born. Yiddish is. from old high german it's an it's an old high german language um, that has been hebraized which just means a lot of hebrew influence and there's so many different yiddish dialects particularly you know influenced by slavic and baltic languages so you know baltic languages like latvian lithuanian uh slavic languages like polish ukrainian russian um Belarusian you know these are there's tons I uh, bet there's also like Hungarian Yiddish and Romanian Yiddish there's so many different kinds of Yiddish that are spoken by Jews from different countries and different you know from from being surrounded by different linguistic groups so it's it's really fascinating and the story of Yiddish in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania German are very different but even though like you know I mean, I recently saw a Facebook post of an Orthodox man, an Orthodox Jewish man who attended the Kutztown Folk Festival and used Yiddish to communicate with the yeah. Pennsylvania Germans. And that was just, you know, it's such a wonderful connection that we have, the very few connections that we do have. Um, it's nice that we have that. I mean, I don't know if you know the story of, uh, and I forget his first name, but the man who started Boscov's, Um, he was... I don't know if he himself was a Jewish immigrant or if his parents were, but I know that his first language was Yiddish. And the reason why Boss Cobbs became such a success in Reading was because he was able to communicate with the Pennsylvania Dutch clientele that would go shopping yes. there between yes. Yiddish and Pennsylvania Dutch. So, you know, it, there, there are more links than people think. But right. I would, I still wouldn't say that there's a ton, you know, like, I just, right. I would not go as far as to say that, like, we're one and the same. But I think maybe no. that's just me being protective of both cultures, you know? Yeah, I, I don't mean, wanna... that's,
0: that must be hard because it's like, I feel similarly in, like, I'm very, very Welsh and very Pennsylvania Dutch, but it's, like, very protective of both. Okay, Ethan. So we got kind of sidetracked. I get really excited about language and linguistics and all the little, like, I can get into the weeds very much so for that. But sticking with religion, um, let's come back to speaking specifically on maybe if you'd like to share some of your own personal practices and the ways in which your religion um, Come through in your own spiritual, your personal spiritual practices.
1: Keep in mind that there is the saying two Jews, three opinions," um, and that I do not speak on behalf of my entire community. I just speak on behalf of my uh, experience and my um, my practice. So
0: I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear about how this how this shows up in your everyday. How this is important and meaningful to you, and why, like, what's the difference between what call did you have to be both practicing and ethnically Jewish? And why do you feel um, so, so strongly connected to it? I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was raised Jewish. I come from an interfaith family. My dad's family is the Pennsylvania Dutch family. They're Lutheran. Um, I, and my mom is Jewish. And when my parents got married, it was, the, it was my mom's wish, and my dad agreed happily, um, that my brother and I would be raised Jewish. And so I grew up in the Jewish community of Reading, Pennsylvania. Not a very huge Jewish community, but it exists. Um, and I went to the reform synagogue there. The reform movement in Judaism is the most liberal denomination. Um, religious liberal in the uh, religious practice sense. Um, and uh it's uh very open to converts etc um although not a proselyt Jews do not proselytize we're not a we're not an evangelical religion we do not seek converts we actively dissuade converts because you know historically we didn't want people to have to follow as many rules as we did we have to follow like 600 some rules or something ridiculous most people don't follow that many but you know I digress um so I grew up in that small Jewish community, but it was tight-knit. I don't know how tight-knit it is anymore, but at the time it was. And um, yeah, so I, I, I wasn't always identifying as Jewish. These are the things that happen in an interfaith household. You get exposed to different religions outside forces, try and change your mind. And so there was a time, a pretty decent time, a pretty decently long time in my life where I wasn't actively identifying as Jewish. But since the pandemic and since I've moved to Canada, I've needed to have something that I felt connected to. And I just had to go back to what I know, which is Judaism, you know? Judaism is a very ritualistic religion. You know, we have a lot of tangible items that are a part of our practice. The eating of challah bread, the drinking of wine, the lighting of candles, um, you know, we are a very ritualistic people. And going through those motions when we pray, or or like when I pray or when, you know, I'm celebrating Shabbat or I'm celebrating another Jewish holiday, you feel so connected to other Jews and to like ancient history. And it's something that to me is is so powerful. So, you know, I've definitely become, I hate to say, I, I, I hesitate to say more religious because I'm not like, you know, I'm not like, but but like i i guess i have become more religious you know i've become more in touch with with my culture i view it as culture and religion because that's what it is so that's so it's so important to me because i feel connected to to you know my ancestors fleeing pogroms in in ukraine and you know surviving horrible atrocities um and the fact that we're still here you know thousands and thousands of years later so that's my that's my that's my piece of why I'm connected and and I love it so much.
0: I love how you said, um, well, first of all, there's so similar, so many similarities to your personal experience and mine as well, because sort of during COVID and the isolation period, it was a time of deep um, introspection for me, particularly in spirituality and religion because i feel like all of us kind of collectively went through like a bit of an existential crisis don't you think yes and i feel like we
1: still are going through an existential crisis
0: yeah sure because it's not like oh we're in this other part of the story where we're pretending like it just never happened and we're just gonna block that out and like sweep it under the rug and it's like our trauma and we're just gonna skip it meaning the pandemic um Mm -hmm. but that's also sort of where this came to a head for me as well which is which prompted this series of podcast episodes is you know at the end of the day we had all of these things that were um, part of our our commercial lives and and the things that we think that we're seeking and the things that we think equal success but at the end of the day when we were all stuck inside and afraid of what was coming for us it definitely felt very and I felt like or apocalyptic and I felt um, a strong like Yearning to, as you mentioned, feel connected and go back to what I know. And I speak a lot about ritual and how important ritual is in in many different ways of living. And um, I I that's so resounding for me and resonating so much for me. What you said brought you back to this. Um, I feel like these moments in our lives are things that can sort of spur us in that path where you're at the fork in the road. You either go you know, one way where you're going down the darker and darker path of the lack of this sort of faith or connectedness. And what I've come to realize, Ethan, which maybe you can also agree with, um, that it doesn't matter as much the definition of what we're practicing. It's really in the actual practice itself. That's powerful. The actual ritual and the prayer itself, learning a lot about psychology and how to, um, be mindful and calm ourselves down, calm our nervous systems down, having a lot of knowledge about the science of how to calm yourself down in states of anxiety and panic, which I go through a lot. Worry is um, focusing on the future and depression is focusing on the past, they say. Um, I think religion and spirituality seem to bring people more into the future, or not the future, bring people more into the present and a more mindfulness and a more um, yeah. present way of living. So it's I centering. think- that's, yeah for sure it's very centering and I think in general if you don't have faith in others and faith in in humanity in general like life can be a very dark place and we're going through such dark times now as we have in the past as you know because you clearly know the history of your people and also like we both share Pennsylvania Dutch ancestry as well and I'm also Welsh they they've gone through so much a lot um, of in their history as well
1: ethnic
0: minorities who
1: have bared the brunt of colonization have had you know the deep impact and I I mean you know colonization is a word that I know is most often applied to Indigenous peoples as it should um, right because you know Indigenous peoples who and I I, you know a lot of my work in the past has been with Indigenous peoples and I still have a very deep interest in Indigenous linguistics and Indigenous people in general Um, but you know so I, I mean maybe colonization isn't the right word but i mean the jewish word or not in a language but like the word that jews use is pogroms which were you know genocides that were carried out in mm-hmm. eastern europe i mean my great-grandfather slept in barns uh as trying to escape i mean he left his most of his siblings behind his brother came uh with him and and when my great-grandfather died um his brother, who had also survived, I think there were only two brothers that survived out of everyone in the family. My grandfather was raised by my great uncle when my great grandfather died when my grandfather was only a year old. So, you know, I have a very, very deep understanding, of how important continuing to practice my religion is because i know that like if it were up to a lot of other people i would not be able to um right and so there's a lot of power in praying uh in 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 jewish in in jewish ritual you know because i mean so here's so this i guess a little bit more into my practice i don't want to like steer too far away from that because i think that your point is really valid and important and a lot of the reason why i practice um or i have begun practicing more um I've recently started what's being called Keeping Shabbat. Um, Shabbat, for those who don't know, it's the Sabbath. It starts on Friday night and ends on Saturday night. Um, It's a day long um, just opportunity for people to rest, for Jewish people to rest and center yourself, have a big meal. You're not really Orthodox halachic Jews do not do anything that day. They don't do work, they don't do yard work, they don't like leave their house, they don't do shopping. And obviously, they don't go to a job. Um, so the day of rest is really important. And that's what Shabbat or Shabbos, as I might just slip into, because that's the Yiddish word for it. Um, that's definitely, you know, something that I've recently started keeping. And, you know, it's a ritualistic thing that I just, it feels such... It's just, I want to incorporate it as part of my routine. I literally just started keeping it like a week ago. And this past Friday was my second Friday, lighting the candles, saying the prayers, having a piece of challah, you know, having some wine and having a nice dinner. Now I don't do nothing (laughs) over Shabbos. I still like go out and do things. I'm not that traditional that I don't do anything, but Shabbos is such a beautiful aspect of our religion. Um, and Christians had it to a certain extent. I mean, the Sabbath is a part of definitely more, definitely some Christian denominations over others, but I know Christians do have a similar idea. I mean, Sunday is a day of rest for Christians. Um, and you know, it's uh, it's a similar idea, but different in that, you know, a lot of the Jewish practice is done in the home. Um we can go to friday night services and i have and i've looked into going to friday night services because sometimes it's nice to have a rabbi go through and do everything for you um but you know buying a challah or baking it which i mean i could do but i'm just you know don't want to um or i would like to i would like to i shouldn't say i don't want i don't want to because i do want to i just it's a lot of effort to like braid bread um so yeah going out buying a challah um, and just being able to pray in my home with the candles, maybe turn on a Zoom a Zoom Shabbos service or watch, you know, a Shabbos service from a different synagogue. You know that to me is just so, is so beautiful that I can, from the comfort of my own home, have a have a spiritual space and like make a spiritual space in my home. I don't have to physically go somewhere to have a spiritual experience. I know that some you know evangelical Christians have a similar experience different, but similar that they don't need to be in a physical place to have a spiritual experience. But I think that Judaism, and you know, as well as paganism, you know, there, we have places where we can go be in community. But the central part of Judaism, in my experience has been other than you know, the community, it's also about like, practicing in your home and like incorporating Judaism into your daily life and by bringing it bringing it into the home setting aside on Thursday evening I'm going to go to the grocery store pick up a challah pick up a bottle of wine whatever um and you know I'm gonna light candles and I'm gonna pray (laughs) like it's just such a basic thing that I've incorporated into my Friday night routine and it's been beautiful. And I know that like some people are like you don't need a certain day of the week to pray. Maybe not for you, <laughs> but for me having that time built in has been helpful because it centered me. It's like okay, Friday evening, that's my time I can just disconnect, disconnect but also connect, you know? It's like right, it's disconnect from everything else, connect to what's important. Um so, you know, I love Shabbos for that reason. So I've just started keeping with that. I also um I mean, not to like dive too deeply away to that, because I also want to hear what you have to say um, But like there's other parts of my pr- like I've recently stopped eating pork. Um, I had been pescatarian for a while and then I was vegetarian for a while and then I reincorporated meat into my life, which I know is like very personal and like literally nobody cares. But mm-hmm. I I say that because I've recently stopped eating pork within the last couple months. And, you know, I don't miss it. (laughs) I really don't miss it that much. I know that, like, and I'll get into intersectionality a little bit later, because I think that there is some interesting overlap between being Pennsylvania Dutch and being Jewish. But, you know, pork and sauerkraut is a no-no for me now, when a lot of, like, really delicious Pennsylvania Dutch foods are, which you can relate to, because you don't eat (laughs) that stuff either. So, um, I, but I, you know, it's, um, it's a commitment that I'm doing, you know this is a commitment that I'm making, and and for me, it's really important that I stick to it um and it makes me mindful of not only what I put in my body but for what you know it just makes me feel like I'm a part of a wider Jewish community by doing that,
0: yeah, I think those those sort of disciplines can help you strengthen so much in your character as well. I mean, it's like discipline is definitely a pathway to strength and mm-hmm. and resilience, of course um. One thing I wanted to say about what you were saying is, um, I found out with my DNA um, that I'm actually, a friend of mine, Robert, told me that the place I'm like in my DNA from Wales, we were actually, part of my Welsh heritage is indigenous. And I was like, whoa. So like the, the word colonization and colonize means so much, so much more, has so much more of a d- different feeling for me now. Um, I love what you were saying.
1: Sorry, I was just going to say it definitely like applies to Wales a lot more than it does to Jews because Wales was colonized by England and still is colonized by England. So,
0: well, what I found out, you know, I went I went to watch a cute, cute story documentary. I thought about Wales, thinking I'd find out what the landscape's like, and it and it showed us how much repeat colonization happened to the Welsh people, but yeah, you know. I think it's hard because i think um it's hard sometimes to navigate these these feelings because i feel the same way when you say go back to what you know i was raised christian um very loosely but you know i feel a strong pull to the pagan ways of the celtic particularly pagan ways because i feel more connected to that part of myself though i live in pennsylvania and you'd think Mm -hmm. it would be the opposite but i think religion Plays such a large role in our lives, not just as a practice, but also as part of our history. So I think when you say the ways that you're adopting the Shabbat, am I saying that right? Yeah. I fucked yeah, fuck it up. All right. How you're adapting it to your own experience and your own lifestyle is so very, very valuable and important of a lesson that as we evolve, as do our traditions, and it doesn't make it less of a ritual for you because it's your devotion and that discipline that I think is so powerful and how you've seen already so much of a growth in yourself as far as your like discipline and ritual always to me feel I don't know if it's because I have ADHD but it helps me kind of like center myself like you mentioned and I I love that idea of setting aside a day because of the way my brain works that I will get yeah. so so hyper focused on certain things that if I don't set that time aside for a specific specific thing like what I've been doing is Sundays I've been like um, attending Zoom church just to like sort of explore this part of myself that seems to be like drawn to this but then keeping sacred mm-hmm. my space in a very pagan way but the way that I translate it so I don't think I hate I shouldn't use hate but I really dislike when people try and set rules out and i don't mean the the jewish rules uh the what was it called again halakha um, halakha i don't mean those types of rules or like the ten commandments or whatever i just mean rules from like people in our contemporary time that it sounds like to me and you we're both soul practitioners like i don't need to follow your rules dude like you don't get to well, own so me and tell me well, what to do. because yeah. we are we are also a combination of like different religions and different beliefs because we are also multi-ethnicities and multi traditions so no one can actually say these are your roles based on what I believe in my background so I think that's really valuable to point out as well yeah
1: I mean and that's and I'll briefly touch on because like you know I say I don't eat pork but I'm not completely kosher like I mix meat and dairy and I still eat shellfish and I You know, I I definitely am not like a fully kosher Jew, and I often have some people who are a little bit more kosher than I am, or even a little less kosher. People will just come up and, and they love to say, you're not doing it right. And I just like to say to them, I don't care. Like, I'm doing what makes me feel connected to Hashem, which makes me feel connected to God. Like, you know, I'm just doing what I need to do for my, and that's the thing about religion is that people make it so public, but it really needs to be personal. Like, if you don't fix what's going on in here, inside you, you are you can't go about doing anything outside. So, you know, I'm I, I'm doing this to talk about it because I think that there's not enough Pennsylvania German. I don't think there are any Pennsylvania German Jews that are open about it. And I think that there's not a lot of space for people like me all the time. Um, but I'm also doing this uh, because I, I'm, I want people who are Jews, if, you know, this reaches any other Jews, I want people to feel like that, yes there are a lot of rules in Judaism. but like you can also follow what you feel is important to you. Like you know that's why I say I'm unaffiliated. I used to identify with Reform Judaism and in a lot of ways I still do because you know it's a very affirming religion. it's a very or, or sorry, affirming movement. It's a very um, you know open to, to everyone, very diverse, beautiful group. But yet there are still things in it that I'm just like, I can't fully get behind that. So I have to be unaffiliated. If I want to go to temple and if I want to worship amongst other people, I will go to a reformed temple, but I am unaffiliated. You know, this this is something that I really only realized when I started keeping Shabbos last week, I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm watching a reform service, but I'm keeping kosher in my own way. I'm doing religion in my in my own way. So, you know, that's how I feel about it, at least.
0: That's beautiful. I love the way you describe that as well. Um, that's how I feel about many, many things, particularly my spirituality. And while during COVID, I was trying to sort of, because it was such a dark time, um, trying to find or like pigeonhole myself into a certain way of thinking. And one way of thinking, I'm thinking, well, how's that possible? I mean, just in my DNA alone, I've got like seven d- different ethnicities and those come with all a set of genetic memory, I feel of like our experiences, our beliefs, some things I'm just called to and I feel really strongly connected to things. And we're all a different blueprint. And I think making it work for yourself is so important. And I think that's where a lot of religions fall short in our modern days because they're not really trying to connect with, you know, where we are now and the way our our brains work, the way technology has changed, the way our brains work, the way work has changed the way just society in general has changed I think it's really I'm very impressed by you and your ability to not live in fear of that and and needing to fit into a certain way but also your dedication and devotion to it it's really inspiring to me um because it's hard I actually I actually this is part of the overarching theme of these different discussions is it's very hard to be a soul practitioner or an unaffiliated person because at at times it feels very very lonely and um it's just very inspiring to hear you talk about that Ethan because I think um your devotion and discipline is um while it's new for you you haven't been doing it for very long I can tell that you're very devoted and um it's it's helping you
1: but even so, it's not new because I grew up with it still. So like, you know, I'm still right. like I have like I was raised Jewish. So like I've, I attended Jewish services in Hebrew school and Sunday school and I had a bar mitzvah and I did all these things. But it is, I guess, you know, it, so a lot of it does feel familiar. But yeah, in a lot of ways, it is new, you know, like it's 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 like, you know, the keeping like we did Shabbos in the home when I was a lot younger, but we hadn't for a very long time um right but like you know I've been doing it now and um there are some things like eating pork is or not eating pork is new for me and you know I um but like having grown up in an interfaith household like I still did celebrate Christmas and Easter albeit secularly like I was not attending church for Christmas or Easter um and I still don't and I don't intend on it but I um you know christmas to me is a secular holiday and and i've always celebrated it that way because of my pennsylvania german side and you know i i still do celebrate christmas i don't do easter anymore um but uh yeah i mean you know for me it was just uh it's a a secular thing it's a secular experience and i think a lot of people who aren't chris or a lot of people who are christian um You know don't understand that like who are in like having grown up in an interfaith household in a bicultural household um you know christmas has always been a secular thing for me i mean maybe not for my dad's family i mean they would go to church and it's a, a very important holiday for them and i don't mean to diminish the importance for them because i know it's a very sacred day but you know for me christmas is just secular And, like, we'd have a Christmas tree, we'd have Christmas food, we'd make Christmas cookies, Santa Claus, like, that was, that was what it was. Um, So, you know, that's just, and, and that was the way that my parents agreed on raising my brother and I. So, you know, it was, it wasn't just my mom saying, like, well, we have to raise our kids Jewish. She did say, if we plan on having kids together, I'm going to need them to be Jewish. She gave my dad the option to say, okay, this won't work, or okay, yeah, let's do it. And my dad was like, yeah, of course, as long as they have some sort of, like, religious foundation, which was important to him as well, um, he was happy. And, you know, I mean, my brother isn't as actively Jewish as I am, but I'm, you know, coming back to it. And it's been lovely, you know, reconnecting with it.
0: Yeah, I guess what I mean by new, because as you were speaking, I guess, you know, you think about, like, the way you're raised and you're given this set of guides based on what what your family believes, right? I guess what I see in you when you're speaking about this is your, your new, new commitment to it in an adult way, I guess I could say, because you have this background, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you've devoted, it's renewed, your it's, renewed.
1: it's renewed commitment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's a so renewal you were
0: given, you were given all of the tools, you were given all the experiences you did your bar mitzvah, but you've actually committed your heart to it, which is a beautiful thing to see. And I see that yeah. as like, there's like a difference where you're just kind of going along with what your family's always done is the tradition in the family, and then actually committing yourself to this is it, is a beautiful thing to see. And and that's where I I guess I'm seeing um this glimmer that's different than if you were just kind of going along with what your family practices, you know? Yeah, which I'm is really my like family's Jewish,
1: and so am I. So that's what yeah. It is. yeah, it's definitely yeah, and deeper. that's
0: kind of like to be to be honest kind of the easier road like you don't really have to question anything you just like you're going about your day going through the motions but to really have that like you know that moment where you're sort of like okay this is for me and you're devoting your life to it it's really like entering into a relationship or a union is very similar to that and I think that's just so beautiful um
1: well and that's and that's the oh sorry I was just gonna say no you're fine I was just going to say briefly, um, you know, this is just one of the things that like, you know, I um, like it's always been there, you know, but I I won't get too deeply into it on here, but Rachel, you know, I've told you like some of my past religious trauma. you know, I've, I have always, I've kind of been in and out of different things. And, you know, this definitely feels like my thing, you know, now that I'm back to it, because it's what I, it's in my genes. So, you know, yeah. it makes sense. Um, and also, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, we have this saying as well, that like, for uh, particular, specific, specifically for converts, I never had to convert, but um, for converts, we always say, even if you weren't born Jewish, your soul was always Jewish. So, oh, you know, that was I just something that. that I've recently learned from other um, friends of mine online that have um, talked about conversion and things like that. So really beautiful thing. And I, I mean, I, I just think that the Jewish philosophy for a lot of things is just so beautiful. And it just makes a lot of sense for my for my life and for myself. So, you know, I'm I definitely feel a renewed commitment to it.
0: I love that so much. That's so beautiful. Um, Yeah, I think there's also a part of it that's so powerful where it's like your ancestral memory. I mean, like none of my family's pagan at all, like 0%. But um, your soul's always been that way. That's so fascinating. I love that so much. And I think we can both agree that whether or not you're practicing um, other religions, you know, being, being, accepting and respectful as long as no one's hurting and being hateful is a beautiful thing too in the world and that's what I've experienced in my in my adulthood in being more um definitive about the way that I practice I've I've only experienced um acceptance and loving from other people which I feel very blessed for um though I don't really talk about it much which is why this is a big um leap leap of faith for me but I think it's an important, it's an important time in these dark times for people to remember that there is this, these, these traditions and beliefs and systems that can help you in, in dark times leading with Mm -hmm. faith. And, you know, I just love that so much. Any last words you have to say, Ethan?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll spend just, I'll very briefly mention, you know, Intersectionality is a word that I know a lot of sociologists and, and you know, people use, anthropologists. I think intersectionality is such an important word because, like, I grew up, I mean, I celebrate both aspects of my heritage, both aspects of my culture. Do they always agree with each other? No. Am I always accepted <laughs> by the other one? No. But, you know, it just, I am so proud to be both, you know? And I'm culturally Pennsylvania Dutch, and I'm culturally and religiously Jewish. And, you know, I just hope that we come to a place in society where, like, your personal religious preference and, and, like, practice doesn't matter. You know, there's a lot of, there's a huge rise in anti-Semitism in the world right now, Islamophobia, um, and lots of other forms of religious hatred that we need to be wary of. We need to take note of that and, you know, work We need to be better as people so that's just the last thing i'll say about that and you know i hope that i continue to be welcome in pennsylvania dutch spaces as someone who is not christian and you know that's just that's ultimately that's ultimately all i have to say i appreciate you letting me come on today and talk about my relationship with judaism and um you know and pennsylvania dutchness as well it's a very interesting combination (laughs)
0: Oh my goodness, Ethan, the pleasure has been all mine. This has been a wonderful discussion and just further shows how much we have in common, though we appear to be very different. I'm so glad to know you and to be getting to know you better and to see you spreading your wings in our community and... Sharing your amazing gifts with us all. So, if you want to learn more about what Ethan does, you can check out Burke's History Center and I'll link it in the show notes. And you could maybe take a class with Ethan. He's a wonderful teacher, I know from personal experience. So, thank you again, my friend, for coming and mock Scoot. <laughs>